your Bibles, please, to the gospel according to the good Dr. Luke. We're in chapter 8, as you know. We went through the storm last week with our Savior. Remember what happened in that storm? What did the disciples say? Who is this? Who commands even the winds and the waves? Who is this? They were terrified. They were, remember last week, the disciples were more afraid of the Savior in the boat than the storm outside on the water. Terrified. So we got through that one. Now, this week, the Lord and Legion. This one's powerful. Don't miss this. This is powerful in its message today. A lot of intellectuals say today, you don't believe in the devil, do you? You, You're too sophisticated for that. You've matured beyond that, haven't you? Have you? Jesus spent a lot of time teaching about the devil. Spent a lot of time casting out demons. They're real. They're here. But they're under the control of the Almighty. We're going to take a look at that today. Okay? The Lord and Legion, 8, 26 to 39. Here now, the word of God. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. Jesus stepped ashore. He was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but he lived in the tombs. When When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into them, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what happened, they ran off and reported this to the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over the town how much Jesus had done for him. And may God add its rich blessing to his inspired and errant infallible word. Pray with me. Father, it is no accident we're here this morning. Whether we drove across town or came from across the country. We are all here by divine appointment in our assigned seats. 
You are sovereign over all. And we are thankful that you have drawn us unto yourself this day. Make it a word of salvation for those who are not saved. Make it a word of comfort for those in storm winds. And a word of rest for those who are tired, weary, and heavy laden. All things to all people that some might be saved. Father, give us ears to hear and minds to understand and hearts that beat for nothing smaller than the Lord Jesus Christ. Come, now fount of every blessing. Unclutter our minds and unburden our hearts that we might see Jesus in him only. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. Three headings, very simple today. We'll briefly unpack it and see what the Lord would have us to know. Remember, every sermon you should hear three things. What does the text say? We've read that now. The next part, what does the text mean? We will unpack it. And then what does the text require? That sometimes becomes the sticking point. Sometimes people say, well, now, Pastor, you've gone to meddling. I'm here to meddle. Right? The pastor's job is to afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. So don't be too comfortable here. Because the word demands our response. Why? It's alive. It's living and active, and so are you. You may have heard this passage. You may have read it and studied it a hundred times. But today, it's different. Why? You're not the same. You're not the same as you were the last time you went through it. And the word is at work in your heart and in your life. So receive that today. And ask God to give you a clear understanding of the response that he's asking for today. Okay? Three headings. Number one, the demons. We've got to take a look at these demons. Number two, the divine one. And then finally, this supernatural deliverance. Powerful. Let me make something clear. A lot of confusion. A lot of intellectuals want to tell us that this is nothing more. See, that was back at a time when people were quite ignorant and didn't really understand what was going on. And Jesus did do a fine miracle. But what he did is he just simply cured a mental illness this man had. We don't believe in demons today. Let me make this perfectly clear. This is only about the demons and Jesus. Why? Not enough for you to know that Jesus came to forgive your sins, is it? You have to know that he can also do what? Conquer Satan. Is he strong enough and powerful enough to do what? What was the promise in Genesis 3.15? The seed of the woman will come and crush the seed of the serpent. Is this the one? Is this the one? Is this the promised Messiah who's come to conquer and to slay the dragon? That's what this passage is all about. So we're going to take a look at that. This is not a cure for mental illness, yet Jesus is involved in curing mental illness, right? The gospel touches on every aspect of life, right? Not just spiritual, mental, emotional, physical. It touches on all aspects of life. The gospel is at work, but this is not about mental illness. This is about demon possession, and does Jesus have the power over the underworld. Three worlds, right? The underworld, the upper world, and the world we live in. Make no mistake, Jesus rules them all. Okay? Here we go. We're going to head out into deep water. Let our nets down for a catch, shall we? Number one, the demons. We've got to look at a little bit of what's called angelology, but we can't go deep. There are volumes written on this, and we could spend years on angelology, but just a few points. Who are the demons? They're angels. But they're bad angels. They're fallen angels. They're angels that fell out of the sky. 
I want you to take a look at something. They're gigantic in number, but we don't know the number. We don't know how many angels, but we know that there's a massive amount that God created. They're innumerable in number, it says, in the book of Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews says it's innumerable. We can't count them. But let's go to Revelation very quickly. 12, 3, and 4. Take a look at this so that we can get an understanding of what's going on here. Another sign, an enormous red dragon. That's the one that the Messiah was to do battle with. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. So what do we have? Whatever the number of the angels were, a third of them are gone. They're out of heaven. They've been swept to the earth. And I'm going to show you in a moment. Some are already in captivity. But there's two-thirds that still remain. Greater is the power in, in him than the power in the world. So it tells you right from the beginning. Two-thirds holy angels are still there. One-third, they got the boot. That gives you insight to understanding what's going on, right? If you're a first-time reader of the scriptures and you're reading in Genesis, and you get to chapter 3, you ask, what is this? Who is this character, this snake that's talking? That's who this is. You've got to get a full-orbed picture. This is one who's been cast out of heaven. So they know an awful lot about God. So stay with me on this, okay? So they're great in number. We don't know how many, but they're great in number. They're great in power. They're not to be trifled with. They're great in power. So listen to this. 2 Kings 19.35. The angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. One. Angel. They're great in power. Psalm 103.20. Bless the Lord, O you, his mighty angels. They're powerful. We just read in, 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 in the passage, he's chained hand and feet and guarded and breaks free every time. That's his, not his natural strength. That's the power of the, the demons that have possessed him. Powerful. So great in number, great in power. It, this is a big deal here. We need to get a deep understanding. They have superior knowledge. We're going to see that in just a moment. But they're real. But let me make a point before we go on. There's a lot of confusion in the church today, a lot of real goofiness that goes on. But let me make something perfectly clear. If you are, listen to me carefully, if you are in Christ, you understand what that means? Right? God has raised you from death to life. You profess faith in Jesus. By grace through faith, you are his. If you are in Christ, you cannot be possessed by a devil. Do you understand that? A house divided cannot stand. So there is no such thing as a Christian who is demon-possessed. Why do I say that to you? So that you can't say the next time you mess it up, the devil made me do it. Don't do that. Don't do it. It's the devil in me. No, 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 no. No devil. Now you're influenced by the devil. The spiritual forces of darkness are real. We're not saying they're not. But you can't say, I, I, I got a demon. There's no demon. Don't, don't. Don't believe that silliness. You don't need to be exercised of the demon. So that's the first thing that we need to make clear as we get into this study. They're real. They're everywhere. They move faster than, than, than humans. We, we don't understand their movement. They're spiritual beings. They don't reproduce, but they're created and will never die. They're, they're here forever. They're real. They were good, now they're bad. A third of them. But you can't be possessed by it. Okay, And you'll see why. The Bible's clear why you can't be. So back to the passage. Here we go. Verse 27. 
When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man. So clearly he wasn't saved at that point. He wasn't, he, wasn't, he wasn't in Christ. The Holy Spirit was not dwelling within him. But Jesus goes across the... Jesus says, we're going to go to the other side of the lake. Remember the storm? They panicked. They think Jesus said, we're going to drown in the middle. He didn't say that. We're going to go to the other side. Why do they go to the other side? He's got a divine appointment. With who? This guy. The woman at the well in John 4. Divine appointment. No different here. Every single time it's a divine appointment for you. That's what this is. So he goes across to meet with this guy. Check this out. He's naked. Why, does the, why, why, why are we told that? I want to show you how heavy your heart should be by reading the condition of this man. Do you know nakedness? In a shame, honor, forget this society. We're not, we don't live in a shame, honor society anymore. You'd agree, nod your heads. No shame, honor. Back then it was a shame, honor society. Nakedness was not a good thing. You go back to the garden and they covered themselves instantly after sin because their consciences were seared. But this is different. Listen to me. This is compulsory nakedness. This man is, com- is, is held captive by the demons and he is forced to be naked. That intensifies the shame and the humiliation. See it? Okay. So this is, a, this is as shameful and as humiliating and as bad. He's naked. He's running around the hillside. And then on top of it, he's living in tombs. Why? He's more comfortable with the dead. He's part of the underworld. So he's more comfortable with the dead than he is with, the, with those who are living. So it's powerful that we understand this picture, and it should really connect us at a heart level. Then we know that there's a spokesman who speaks up for all of the demons that have possessed this guy. And Jesus asks him, what is your name? There's power in that as well, but we don't have time to really deal with it. And he cries out, Legion. Well, that wasn't really his name. What was Legion? Legion was an identification for the largest unit in the Roman army. A legion had 6,000 men. So what did he just say? We're we're 6,000. Or at least we're a lot. We're legion. We're many. What has Jesus already dealt with? He dealt with Satan all by himself in the wilderness and he beat Satan, right? One-on-one, mano-a-mano. Boom, beat him. Preached the gospel, spoke the scriptures, and the devil fled. Then he's preaching in the synagogues and he's got a demon-possessed man and he casts that demon out. He's two for two. And we read that Mary's possessed by seven, the perfect number of demons. This guy has thousands. Can Jesus conquer this mess? That's the message of this passage. There are thousands of them. Powerful beyond power. Can he win the fight? He's already beat the demon, one-on-one, devil, in in the wilderness. He's cast out a demon in Luke chapter 4. Now he's got a whole legion to deal with, okay? Get the picture so that you're clear. How many? I'm going to give you just a number that we're at least certain of. But we got to go to another gospel account. It's how we get a full-orbed view, right? We go to another gospel account. Let's go to Mark. Go to Mark 5, 13. It's on the screen for you. Here it is. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs, about 2,000 in number. There are 2,000. So there's at least 2,000 demons that come out of the guy and go into the pigs. Maybe they go out by twos. 
and there's 4,000. Maybe they go out by three. All 6,000 in the legion are possessing the pigs, three in each. What's the point? God wants you to see how the power scales have been so tipped in the favor of the demons. And is this the promised Messiah? Can he win this battle against this unimaginable force? We see their number is gigantic. Their power is great. Can he beat them? That's the question. We can't leave the demons, though, until we understand their superior knowledge. Did you know that the demons know more than most people sitting in churches today, reading through their Bibles? They're students of the Scripture. How do we know that the demons are students of the Scripture? Satan quotes Scripture back to Jesus in, in his fight. Now, now, here's the key to understand this. You need to know the difference. Satan was in the Word of God, but the Word of God was not in Satan. Okay? Jesus was in the Word of God, was the Word of God, and the Word of God was in him. But they know the Word of God, and I want to show you three aspects of how superior their knowledge is to most Christians, which should drive us to our Bibles, and it should drive us to really study. Three aspects, Christology, eschatology, and theology. Big words, but simple understandings. We're going to look at from the passage what their Christology was. What did they know about Jesus? Here's my question to you. Do you know who the first ones were to identify Jesus as the Messiah in the New Testament? Answer, demons. Okay? It wasn't the disciples. It wasn't even John. John says, behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. And then John later in prison sends some of his disciples and say what? Are you the one? Or should we expect someone else? John wasn't even sure. The disciples weren't sure when they nailed him to a cross. The demons knew exactly who they were dealing with. Okay? So let's take a look. Here we go. How superior is their knowledge? Don't miss this. This is powerful. What was the Christology of the demons? Verse 28. What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. Now... Why call him son of the most high God? They understood the Hebrew Bible. All they had was the Hebrew scriptures. El Elyon in the Old Testament, the most high God, this is the sovereign one. They knew exactly who Jesus was. Their Christology was orthodox. They understood clearly who they were dealing with. Now, little confusion with some commentators who say that they fell at his feet, these demons through the man fell at his feet, and perhaps in a posture of worship. Make no mistake, that was not a posture of worship. It was a posture of weakness. Demons never worship the Lord God omnipotent. They are always fighting a battle against Jesus and his people. Always. Never were they in a posture of worship. That was a posture of weakness. Jesus threw them down to his feet. But their Christology was clear. They knew who they were dealing with. But it gets deeper. They knew that he was born of a virgin according to his human nature. And they knew that he was the son of God according to his divine nature. But they also knew something that most Christians are confused on. Eschatology. What's that? Big word for something simple. How does it all end? What happens at the end? Did you know that you are part of the only story that truly does have a happily ever after? Did you know that? You know, you read those storybooks, parents with your little children, right? In the beginning, once upon a time, and they lived happily ever after. (laughs) Who wrote that? Who's living happily ever after right now? Please. 
One battle after another trying to get where? To the true happily ever after. It really has been promised. It's coming. It's on the other side. Well, there'll be no more demons, no more disease, no more death, and we will live happily ever after. But not until we get there. But what was the eschatology? What did they know about the end? What had they been taught by understanding the scriptures? Don't miss this. They begged him, verse 31, they begged him repeatedly not to order, order, he's, he's in control, them to go into the abyss. What is that? What do they know about the abyss? They said, don't send us there. Well, just a couple from Matthew. Ready? 829. Have you come to torture us before the appointed time? What does that mean? There are a lot of Christians don't understand the appointed time. What was this time? This was the time that Jesus came as the suffering servant. What did the demon say? This isn't the time to send us into the abyss. you got to come back a second time to do that. We understand the eschatology. Is this, this, you've come to, this is not right. And what's this abyss thing? What's that all about? Check this out. Matthew 25, 41. Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for whom? The devil and his angels. That will be the final incarceration. The lake of fire. Did you know that it's been characterized as an unending pit? You ever wonder why? A pit that has no bottom. Bottomless. You ever wonder why? You think about the fall, right? The fall from grace, Adam and Eve and their fall. It's the angels who fell from the sky. But then you go to Adam and Eve and their fall in the garden. But God has come to redeem humanity, not the angels. But their fall is so great. Listen to me. In a bottomless pit, they never stop falling. Now, as Dr. Sproul would say, we shouldn't really call what happened to us a fall. It really is a plunge. After we realize everything we lost... When we turned away and rebelled against God, he was right. This is a plunge. But to think of that bottomless pit should, should, should give you the comfort in knowing that Jesus has assigned to them this perpetual fall. They're just going to continue to fall forever and ever for what they've done. They had more knowledge. They had more grace. They, they were there with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they rebelled. So that's powerful that we get that. There's only one other thing I want you to know. <clears throat> Whatever the number of demons, whatever the number of demons are, it's been reduced by a, a certain amount. We don't know how much. But in 2 Peter and Jude 6 and 7, you'll read about angels that are already held in captivity. Those are the angels that were messing around in Genesis 6. Now, even scholars continue to debate what was happening in Genesis 6. We don't know, and I'm not even going to begin to try to unpack it. I'm going to tell you the demons that were messing around in Genesis 6 can't mess around anymore. They have already been sent to the lake. They're already in chains and bondage waiting for what? Final judgment. They're not free to roam. But all of the rest of them are. Just a side issue. Just so that you can realize the power of the one that you profess faith in. So some demons are already locked up not to come out. And on the final judgment day the rest will go in. And that will be the end of it. Christology. Orthodox. Eschatology. Orthodox. What about their theology? Watch this. James 2.19. You believe there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. What is that? Even the demons believe there is one God. What do the demons believe? They believe the Shema. 
What was the great Shema in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 6, 4? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, one God. Even the demons know that it's one God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they shudder. Now, back to the opening statement that you cannot be possessed. Make no mistake, they are terrified. Terrified by the Lord God omnipotent. There's no house divided in Christianity. There's no, there, there, there's no residency inside of the believer for the Holy Spirit and for the demon. If you are his, you are fully infused. You, you, are, you are taken up completely by the Holy Spirit. There's no room for the demons. They run and they hide. They ask to be sent away. They are uncomfortable in the presence of the Almighty because they know exactly who he is and ultimately what he's here to do. Okay? So we're clear on that? All right. Let's take a look now at the divine one. That's enough on the demons. Here's the divine one. Luke 8, 32 to 33. Just a few points. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into them, and he gave them permission. That's important to note. This is permission that he granted. When the demons came out of the man... They went into the pigs, and, they, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. I've been told in my research, pigs can swim. Well, they weren't. Now, pigs can't remember, remember? My dad used to say to me when he was messing with me, yeah, pigs had wings. They could fly, too. Get out and cut the lawn. Whatever it was. He was always using that analogy, and I never liked that one. Pigs had wings. I don't like that. I don't but the pigs are supposed to be able to swim. These aren't swimming. Why? The demons are set on destruction. That's the point of the message of Satan and his demons. They come to kill and steal and rob. So Jesus gives permission and they jump into the lake. The demons drive them into the lake and they drown. Let me give you a little side note that you may not hear anywhere else. But this is important to add to your theology. Now at least you can explain to somebody where they get deviled ham from. Now, next time you go to the grocery store, next time you go to that aisle, you pull out the underwood, underwood can, and you look at it, what's on There's a devil on it. There's a devil with the ears and the pitchfork. Hey, right there. That's where they got devil ham, I'm telling you. I don't eat it, but I'm telling you where they got it. Ephesians 1.11. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. According to what? What is all this that's going on? It's all according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. There's nothing that is happening in your life that isn't according to the will of God. God is in complete control. And I'm going to show you three aspects. When we speak, this is deep. We spend years in seminary studying this, and we say, I still have no idea. But we do the best we can. I'm going to bring this from Dr. Sproul. It's a very simple formula to try to understand. When we speak of God's will, we generally speak of it in three Contexts, and I'm going to show them to you, and then we're going to leave it alone. But three contexts of the will of God. Easy to understand, but it takes a lifetime to unpack, okay? Number one, the sovereign, decretive will. Right from Sproul. Ordains whatsoever comes to pass. God is in complete control, and as he permits, he is willing it even in some certain sense. How do we know that? Look at Job 1.12. Take a look. The Lord said to Satan, very well, everything he has is in your power, but do not lay a finger on the man. Why was Satan allowed to mess with Job? Because God permitted it. You understand? You need to understand this. You need to get that. 
Now, you're protected by the power of the Holy Spirit. But you're not protected from the demonic forces and the spiritual forces of darkness. That they're, they're here. They're around. But God is in complete control. The demons can only do what God allows. They only have power to the extent that God gives it to them. And we can't. Listen, here's what we need to remember. We don't understand everything that God is up to. Why? We're not God. If you had a God that you could fully understand, he wouldn't be God. Okay? People say to me all the time, well, I just don't. I, I, I need to understand this. I, I need to get this. I, I don't understand. I, what do you, no, you don't need to get it. I said, let me tell you the problem with you even getting it. First of all, your mind is finite. How's a finite mind going to grasp the infinite? Then let me, can I add one thing to that? Sure, pastor, go right ahead. How about if I add the brokenness and the sinful nature that goes with that finite mind? And you want to get it? It's madness. So even when we're right, we're wrong most of the time. Because our minds are broken and they're stained with sin. So we're not going to understand all of this. We don't need to understand it. We need to receive some things simply by faith. I trust in you because you are a good God. I don't get it all. You don't need to get it all. Just look to him and trust in him. God's up to something that we don't understand. And people say, well, I can't wait to the, get to the other side to understand it all. I counter, I can't wait to get to the other side to forget it all. <laughs> Whoo! I'm going to be picking fruit. No devil have for me. Picking fruit. Serving the almighty, holy, holy, holy. Who cares what it's all about when you get to the other side? Just the mind messing with you. That's all right. Here we go. Let me, I digressed. I'm sorry. Number two. Number two, people say to me, you know what they say to me? Oh, pastor, if I only knew the will of God. Oh, my goodness. 95% of God's will is laid out for you, and it's in your hands. Take a look. Perceptive will. It's the revealed will of God in the Holy Scriptures. The Bible doesn't tell you whether you should be a butcher baker or a candlestick maker. It doesn't tell you who to marry, what to drive, and what clothes to wear. It doesn't tell you that, where to buy your house. It doesn't tell you that. But it tells you 95% of everything you need to know. And it tells you everything you need to know for the most important thing in life. And what is that? Salvation. It's the only thing that matters. And you've been given that revealed will to what even a child understands what is necessary for faith. A child. Trusting in Christ alone. Because Jesus came and did what he said he did. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He died a sacrificial death, and he was raised supernaturally from the grave on the third day. Enough said. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Perceptive will. And the last one, this is important. And when you think about it later when you're home, or if you've taken notes, I'm telling you, you're going to go back to this one. You're going to go back to this one. It's the will of disposition. What is that? It reveals what is pleasing to God. So, so listen, let's say that you're, you're stuck on the horns of a dilemma and you have two really good decisions and both of them are good. Here's one of the questions you ask. Which one is more pleasing to God? Which one brings greater honor and glory and praise to God? Dr. Kennedy would say it this way. People would often come up to him and say, well, you know, I understand you're preaching and we're no longer under the law, so what difference does it make? The law of God, what difference does it make? And his response was just beautiful. I learned it from listening to him Sunday nights, standing in the fellowship hall over and over again. Well, let me ask you this question. How would a Christian want to live? Would, would you not want to live a life that is pleasing to God? And how would you know what is pleasing if you didn't have the revealed will? If you didn't know his law? 
So the law is there to show you the pleasing will of God and how to live for him. So that's the will of disposition, okay? Can't go any further on that because it's not a seminary class. It's a sermon. Let's move on. Number three, okay? Those are three aspects of the will of God. Finally, the deliverance. Here it is, and then we close. Those tending the pigs reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. They found the man from whom the demons had gone out. Listen, now we're going to find a position of, 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 of worship. Watch the posture. Sitting at the feet of Jesus, but don't miss the next word. He's dressed. Notice the compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ who clothes him. It takes us back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve tried to cover themselves, and he said, no, 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 no. No, I will cover you, and it will point forward to the day that the Lamb will come and cover you by his blood. Jesus now gives us a foresight, a picture, and the man now is covered. He's covered by the blood of the Lamb, symbolic by his clothing now that he is dressed, saved. Saved by God's grace. Don't, don't miss these little things. And I know we don't have enough time. We can be all day. But we try to hit little points that will cause you to go back to the passage. All the people of the region asked Jesus to leave. Oh, my goodness. Listen to what they asked. Because they were overcome with fear. He got into the boat and he left. The, he, the, the healed man begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him away saying... Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So he went and told how much Jesus had done for him. Look at the Greek word fear. Phobeo is the word we have in English for phobia. I want to make something clear. A lot of commentators have said that they were really angry. It wasn't really fear. They're angry at Jesus for their financial loss. Let me make something perfectly clear. That is not this Greek word. That has nothing to do with financial loss. They are in fear, not because of their economic loss. They are in fear because of the eternal one that they are standing in front of. They're not fearful because of what he did. They're fearful because of who he is. They know that something wholly other is standing before them. So what do they say? It's sad. They, they say, go away. And the passage says, and he got in the boat and he left. Listen to me. Listen to me, when you hear the invitation today, he never came back. Nowhere in scripture do we read that he ever came back. He left a witness. He left a witness. We know it's Gentile country, don't we? It's not the commonwealth of Israel. How do we know? They're, they're pig farmers. So the cloven hoof is, is not in Israel. It's outside of Israel. So this is, this, listen to me, the first Gentile convert is this guy. This is the first chance. And Jesus, leaves. Jesus says, no, you can't go with me. Why? I need to leave you so that you'll be a witness to the gospel. He says, go and tell them. So people say to me, well, I'm not sure how to share the faith. Listen, go and tell them how much God has done for you. You know, you don't need a seminary degree for that. You don't need to know anything about the script. You don't need to know anything except what God has done for you. Go tell somebody about it. I don't have the answer to the question. You don't need the answers. Let God do his work as you go tell him what he's done for you. And especially those of you who have been saved as adults, you know the difference. B.C. and A.D., you know the difference. Okay. Hebrews 2.14. By his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. So here's three things that you'll remember. I promise you you'll remember these three things. This guy went from demonic to disciple. From maniac missionary from servant of satan to the servant of the savior my goodness how do we close 
Well, in my travels as a pastor, here's what I've learned. The world would rather eat the husk with the swine than dine at the marriage table of the Savior. And that's the truth. So they tell Jesus to go away. Now's not a good time. Come back. Paul, Paul preached to Agrippa. Agrippa said, come back at a more favorable time. Now's not a good time. The world would rather eat the husk with the swine than dine at the marriage table with our Savior. So here's the question. I don't want you to think for a second. But Jesus could have stopped the loss of all those pigs. Yes, but he didn't. Why? Two reasons. One, it showed the dramatic change from the man to the pigs. The demons went for the pigs were now acting like the man had been acting for years. And they're crazy. They jump over the edge of the cliff and they drown in the water. So it was clear something happened to the man. But there's one other thing that you can't miss. Who owned the pigs? Jesus. Don't miss that. Those were his pigs. And every single pig we have, he owns. Everything we have been given puts us deeper into debt to the one who has given it to us. So the question before the house is this. Don't miss this. Yes, there was real economic loss. That's not the point. What pigs is Jesus purging from your life right now? We have a white knuckle grip on everything we've been given and we don't want to let it go. Jesus took those. Jesus didn't send the demons into the pigs. But he let him go in, knowing exactly what was going to happen. And he allowed that to take place so that those pig farmers would understand, you're standing on holy ground. Take off thy shoes. But instead they said, depart. Last passage, 1 John 3, 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Ready for this? Ready for this? What works of the devil do you need destroyed? Every single one of us is dealing with what? We have emotional issues. We have mental issues. We have spiritual issues. We have physical issues. We're dealing with all of, every single thing that's going on that isn't, that isn't honoring and glorifying to God based on his plan for redemption is a work of the devil. Every single thing that we're dealing with was entered into this world because God allowed Satan to tempt Adam and Eve, and in their free will, they turned away from God. So Jesus came to destroy the works. I'm asking you today, what works of the devil do you need destroyed in your heart? And finally, here's our close. Luke eleven twenty. 20. Huh, don't miss this. If I, if I drive out demons, listen to this. By the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. I, I want you not to miss this. This is, this is see the word finger? We, we don't talk about the finger of God in the Old Testament. In the Hebrew Bible, what do we talk about? Say it. The arm of God. Notice what just happened. Notice, notice the word that was selected. The arm of God is symbolic in the Old Testament of God's omnipotent power to deliver. Okay? Jesus says, if I drive out demons, not by the arm of God, but just by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Just with a finger. Thousands. Dove into the pigs. Is that your truth? Has the kingdom of God come upon you? You know. You heard the gospel today. They sent him away and he never came back. Right now is a moment of salvation. Tomorrow it may not be so. 
Any one of us here could be gone tonight. If you have never trusted in Christ, right now is your moment of salvation. It's not tomorrow. With outstretched arms and nail-scarred hands, Jesus says to you, come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You want to know the first rest you'll get? The rest from your self-salvation project. You can stop trying to save yourself. And the second rest will come on the other side. What a wonderful promise in Jesus. Trust in Christ alone. He is who he says he is. He did what he said he would do. And right now he's calling you. He's inviting you in to a relationship with him. Will you come? Will you come by way of the internet? Those who hear my voice, will you come to Christ alone right now? Pray with me. Pray these words if you never have before. Father God, I heard the gospel today. Maybe for the very first time, it's clear. It makes sense to me. I don't feel like I was spoken down to. I don't feel like I was spoken above. I feel like that word came to my heart. I understand this word that I'm a sinner. I'm broken. And I need a savior and I cannot save myself. So right now, Father, I pray that they pray with me these words. Oh, God. I confess my sins to you. Give me the gift of repentance. I turn away from my sin. I trust in Christ alone. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And now I want you, I want you to know this truth. That he who began this good work right now in this moment, this day, June 10th, 2018, on this day, your spiritual birthday, give honor, praise, and glory to the one who has raised you from death to life. For he who began the good work will one day complete it. And for all those who've been walking for decades, keep on walking. By faith and not by sight. Trusting in Christ alone. And for this we are eternally grateful. In Jesus' name all God's people said, amen. Would you stand?